Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. If a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. We come to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians this morning, and the first half of the 11th chapter has become a battleground for many. You know, it contains a favorite verse for parents to quote to Junior before dragging him off to the barbershop. It has forced women to put doilies on their heads if they wanted to worship in certain churches. And I doubt that this passage will ever be popular with liberated women. But before we write off the Apostle Paul as a woman hater and a male chauvinist, let's take a fresh look at the entire passage. Because I think when it is understood properly, when it's kept in its historical context, this can become a very positive passage about womanhood. A passage that extols the glory of women on three fronts, showing how women can bring glory to God, glory to their husbands, and glory to themselves. So let's read the entire passage before we examine it point by point. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 through 16. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything, And hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since... He is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord... Neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originated from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. 
But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. Obviously, this passage has been contentious (laughs) for a long time. But Paul begins by praising the Corinthians for remembering what he taught them and for holding to many of the traditions he had passed on to them. Now, by traditions, he's not referring to empty rituals or outmoded patterns of behavior that have been passed down, but to valid applications of Scripture that had become accepted practice in the church. Now, these traditions were important. And Paul was glad to see that they were abiding by most of them. However, there were a few things that had crept into the Corinthians' practice that Paul felt needed to be changed. Their misunderstanding of spiritual gifts had led to a a circus type of atmosphere in their services. The Lord's Supper had become a rowdy banquet. And some of the women were ignoring accepted standards of decency and decorum under the banner of freedom and liberty. So Paul sets out to correct these situations. And the first he takes up is that of women's behavior in the worship service. He begins by reminding them of divine order, stating that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman. And do note that the man is head of a woman, not all women. Still, I know some don't like to hear that today any more than they must have liked hearing it 2,000 years ago, but it's still true. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that there's a difference between men and women, and the difference is more than physical. Men and women have different functions and therefore different positions in life. Man has been given the responsibility to care for God's creation and is therefore directly responsible to his creator. Woman has been given to man to help him accomplish his task and is therefore responsible to him. That's the way it was in the beginning. And that's the way it is still to be. Paul says man wasn't created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. A woman was created for a man. Actually, she was created from a man and then given back to him. That means she's not of less value than man, an object given to him, a a lesser form of life created to serve him, but she is of equal value with him. She is a part of him. 
but she had been separated from him to be of more value to him. Now, he has four arms, four legs, and twice the reasoning capacity to get his job done. But they are still to do his job. It's his job they're to do. They're not to go off in two separate directions, finding fulfillment apart from one another, but to work together, seeking to do what Christ has given the man to do in life. Christ is the head of every man. A man's direction comes directly from his Creator. And man is then to give direction to his wife, helping her to see and therefore be able to share in the work Christ has called them to do. Now, this isn't demeaning for women any more than it was for Christ. You know, he fully shared the divine nature of God but yet recognized the headship of the Father once he was separated from him to help redeem mankind. They had a job to do together, but it was God's plan they were to follow. So a woman must recognize the headship of her husband, and to do so brings glory to God. Why? Because that is honoring his plan and purpose in creation. It shows a respect for his intention. It's living within his will. And even the angels are watching to see if we submit to God's will. So by recognizing her ordained place in life, a woman brings glory to God and also brings glory to man. In verse 4, Paul gets into the issue of having your head covered or uncovered in worship. For that was the way headship was symbolized in the first century. He says for a man to pray or preach, and that's what prophesy means here, with his head covered would bring disgrace to his head. That is, it would bring disgrace to Christ, his head. Since man is directly responsible to Christ, and as Paul points out here, reflects the glory of God, he should have his head uncovered, While ministering, it should be readily visible that he stands in direct access to God, taking directions from his head and acting on behalf of his creator. For a man to minister with a covering on his head in the first century was unthinkable because it indicated that he was in submission to another man and accountable to him rather than than to Christ. The opposite, however, was true for a woman. For her to pray or preach with her head covered disgraced her head, that is, her husband. 
And do note that there are apparently times and settings in which it is appropriate for women to pray and preach in public. Now, Paul does not expand on that point at this time, so neither will we. What he's saying here is that it is important that even while ministering, a woman must remember her accountability to her husband, that is, to her head. She is never to give the impression that she is ministering on her own authority, that she has stepped out from under her husband's authority. Now, the recognized symbol of being under the authority of a husband in the first century was a head covering, a veil that covered the head and sometimes even covered the entire body. No respectable married woman, and all respectable women were married, would be seen in public unveiled. To do so would disgrace her husband. In fact, the only women who walked the streets of Corinth unveiled were the temple prostitutes. And many of them went so far as to shave their heads to make it clear that they were under no man's authority but were available to any for a price. So Paul says, do not uncover your heads in public unless you want to be identified with prostitutes. Women in the church had rightly understood that in Christ there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, bond or free, male or female. But they had erred in assuming that they could therefore drop the social distinctions and minister just like a man. Paul says, no. No. You are still a woman. You still have a unique function in society and are still to recognize the headship of your husband. Besides, I think he's saying... The little expression of liberation has been misinterpreted. Those outside the church now think we too have sacred prostitutes. So get your veils back on. Now obviously that has nothing to do with wearing hats in church today. Or even with women having short or long hair. Notice that Paul says, if... If it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. He recognized the cultural significance of hairstyles and head coverings. If they communicate something to the world that you as a Christian shouldn't be communicating, he says, don't do it. And specifically... For women, be sure that you do nothing to dishonor your husband. You are to bring him glory and honor by respecting his headship and letting the world and even angels know that you do. I think he's made it clear how a proper understanding of womanhood brings glory to God 
and to men. But how does it bring glory to women themselves? Well, I think Paul makes that clear next. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Paul begins, however. He's saying, now again, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. I said man wasn't created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. But that does not mean one is more important than the other. Both are equally important. Neither is independent of the other. They need each other. They depend on each other. Now, true, women would never have been created if God hadn't first made man and then made clear the need for a woman. But neither would any of us men be here if it hadn't been for our mothers. So motherhood is something very special. Something God gave to women to kind of even up the slate, to balance out the scales. It's God's way of making men depend on women and respect their uniqueness. And indeed, motherhood is a glory that no man can have. It's reserved for women and them alone. It brings them special honor. And a woman should glory in her role as mother. But that's not all. She should find glory in her beauty and uniqueness as well. You know, God made women different from men. And there's nothing wrong with being physically attractive to men. As was said of Esther, you are beautiful of face and form. You are soft and delicate. And your hair. It's a glory to you, especially when it's long and flowing. Paul says that's not true for a man. He says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Now, what in the world is he talking about here? How does nature teach us that? Can't men grow Hair long and beautiful too? Well, yes. For a while, anyway. But nature has done something to make long hair dishonoring to most men as they grow old. It's called baldness. You know, science has discovered that it takes only one gene to produce baldness in men, but it takes two for women. So baldness is very uncommon in women, while most men have some degree of balding as they mature. 
And quite frankly, nothing looks more ridiculous than a bald head with a fringe of long, sparse, stringy hair. (laughs) So most men keep their hair short or shave it off as they grow older. Older women, however, older women, however, can usually have a beautiful head of hair if they so desire. I remember my grandma. She died when I was 12. I still remember her vividly. She wore her hair up in a bun most of the time. But at night, she would let it down and brush it and brush it and brush it. It was truly beautiful. It was snow white and flowing and beautiful. And it was a glory to her. So women, I think Paul is saying glory in your beauty. Glory in your femininity. Not vainly, but gratefully. Recognizing it as a gift from God. God has made you unique, different from men. So don't try to be like them in any way. And while it is true that God has placed men over you to lead and protect you, that does not mean you are of less value than men. In fact, it means you're something very special, something to be treasured. Never forget that. And you'll bring glory to God, glory to your husband, and glory to yourself. Indeed, we must all surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And to the will of our Creator. If we are to find real joy and meaning in life. And that new song that we've just been, we've been learning says what? I will surrender to what? To your design. Oh. Good job, Scott. I will surrender To your design. You know, it's not demeaning for any of us to surrender to God's design or to surrender our will to the will of the one who has headship over us. It is, in fact, our glory to do so. Just stand.